0: And we'd like to begin this message by showing you a picture. Yep, that's her. So, of course, you don't know who this lady is, and you're not supposed to. This lady was uh, my beautiful grandmother, Isabel Altamar de la Vega. And I remember as a kid loving her last name, because one day I realized it was uh, the, the same last name as El Zorro. And kids, if you don't know who El Zorro was, that's okay. El Zorro, maybe as you guys say, it's all right. El zorro, that's how I say it. El zorro. You don't know who, who that is? Anyways, I'm not going to go there, but... Anyways, my grunt, grandmother, mother, she taught me so many things. But one thing that I never got to learn from her was to eat fish properly. Yes, according to my grandmother, there was a proper way to eat fish. You see, here in the U.S., we fillet the fish And we eat it without the bones, right? That's how we eat it here. But in Colombia, we eat the entire fish. And and there's a picture right there. Yum, yum. And the way that my grandmother used to eat uh, her fish, her fried fish, was very interesting. She would take a big chunk of the fish, head, tail, bones, everything all together, and she would pop it into her mouth as if it was a gumball. And then she would start chewing the entire thing for about two to three minutes. And then she would put all the meat on one side of her mouth inside, of course, and all the bones to the other side. Then she would take the bones out of her mouth, allowing her to just eat the the, the meat without the bones. And I don't know if this is actually the proper way to eat fish. (laughs) But I sure know that if I tried to do that, I would probably choke in front of her. And, and, and she would tell me, you're not eating fish, right, Hector? And remembering how my grandmother was able to stick almost that entire fish or an entire fish in her mouth and deal with the bones as if it was nothing. It reminded me of the story in the Bible that I'm sure most of us know. And this is a story of a man who, contrary to what my grandma did, he did not even have an entire fish in his mouth. But instead, it was the other way around this man found himself entirely inside the mouth and the belly of a big fish. And just like my grandmother was able to spit out the bones, he eventually was spat out from the fish mouth after three days and three nights of being in its belly. And of course, you all know that we're talking about Jonah, not only because I've been talking about him for the last weeks during my sermons, but also because we all have heard this amazing story maybe since we were kids and heard about it during Sunday school. And unfortunately for many of us, the story of Jonah and the big fish or the whale, as many call it, becomes nothing more than a fable or a fantastical kid's story that entertains us. I was reading about it and I was surprised actually to see how many scholars uh, believe that Jonah's story was actually just fantasy. And it makes, uh, this story kind of makes our imagination run wild, right? When we we hear about the story, we think of how crazy it would be for a man to be inside the belly of a fish. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of the story because we will eventually learn about Jonah's experience inside the belly of the fish. But what I want to start off is with the following. We could take Jonah's story as an allegorical biblical tale, as many people and biblical scholars and Christians do. But here's the thing with this. Jonah's story, as fantastic as it may be, makes complete sense when we read it in light of the entire Bible. And not only because of how amazing the miracle of being swallowed by a fish and being alive for three days and three nights was, but Jonah's story gains relevancy when we read our Bible and we discover that his story foreshadows the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who just as Jonah the prophet, he was inside of the belly of death for three days. And death itself spat him out to live forever, to save us from what we deserved eternal death and separation from God. So if you see Jonah's story like those that struggle with the facts and the miracles that are narrated in his testimony, then Jesus' gospel, his testimony, the testimony of Jesus, will not only become a struggle for you as well but it will become a sign against you in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, killed on a cross, laying in a tomb, dead for three days, and resurrecting on the third day for the forgiveness and salvations of, of our souls, is a greater story, a more amazing one, but also the one and most important miracle that all miracles point to in the stories in the Bible. So the reason why God allows us to see the story of Jonah, real story, the prophet in the Bible, and allows the amazing to see the amazing miracles that he lived is for you and me to gain a better understanding of how God's miracles, especially the miracle of Jesus Christ's life, death and resurrection, should provoke us to listen to his calling today and to come to him in prayer and worship, and obedience. And that is a message for us for today. It's called prayer, worship, and obedience. Some of you are aware of Sundays going through Jonah chapter one. And today we will be studying Jonah chapter two in the attempt to reach the goal that I have set for all of us as we consider the value that there is in God's calling for us. That's what we have been talking about, the value that there is in God's calling for all of us. But instead of jumping straight into chapter 2, I would like for us to step backwards a bit and begin our story from chapter 1, verse 14 today as a way of transitioning into the story that we'll be reading today and also to remind us about what we have learned during the series of uh, of the book of Jonah, the prophet of God. But before we begin, allow me me to lead us in in a short prayer asking the Lord to continue to speak to our lives through his word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you today with the expectation of hearing your voice. A voice that challenges us. A voice that transforms us. A voice that calls us to come to you. We don't want to hear any other voice. So we humbly ask you today, would you please continue to speak to our hearts, challenging us, transforming us, and calling us to come to you. This moment is only for you, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, Hope Chapel, this is what God wants us to know and to do As a result of listening to his message for us today, God is calling us to pray to him, to worship him and to obey him. That's the goal for today's sermon. Very straightforward. Very easy, right? God is calling us to pray to him, to worship him and to obey him. So let's begin with our first point for today's message. God is calling us to pray to him. God is calling us to pray to him. And we can be reminded of this as we start reading chapter 1, verse 14, and we're reading the English Standard Version, the ESV this time, Uh, so you can follow along in the screen as we read. Verse 14 says, therefore they, the sailors, called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And if you're not familiar with the story so far, these sailors that we're talking about here in the story were in a ship in the middle of a raging storm, and a man named Jonah, a prophet of God, who was running from, running from God's calling to his life, was also in this ship with him. And after a series of events, they discovered the, that the reason why the storm was upon them was because Jonah had disobeyed God. And instead of going to where God told him to go, He jumped into the ship with the sailors and tried to flee from God's calling and his presence. So now they're here holding this man ready to throw him into the ocean. For this is uh, what the sailors understood that it was pleasing for the Lord for them to do. So they were praying to the Lord. They They were asking to the Lord for him to have mercy on them and to save their lives. So the first thing that we can learn from this part of the story as we read the sailor's prayer to the Lord is that anyone, anyone can call to the Lord in prayer and he will listen. Anyone. You have never been to a church before? Pray. He listens. You're living a sinful life that you know it's not pleasing to the Lord? Pray. He forgives you're disappointed because maybe you're not praying as much as you know that you should. Pray, he will always be willing to listen to your voice when you come to him in prayer. You have no faith in God, but you're curious. And maybe there's a desire in you to know more about who he is. Pray. The Bible says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. You're struggling in your faith and you you are are. are, are having in your heart very little faith now, and you don't know how to go about your your faith and, and, and your beliefs in the Lord, pray. He listens to your prayers. No matter who you are, no matter in what circumstances of life you're at right now, no matter what you've done, pray to the Lord because he listens. Verse 15. So they, the sailors, picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. So here we learn that the sailors prayed to the Lord, and the Lord listened to their prayers, of course. But also, the that the sailors not only prayed to the Lord, but also took action. It says they hurled Jonah into the sea. And what happened? What happened after this? It says that the sea ceased from its raging. And after reading this part, I need to confess that I was wondering why did the sailors have to pick up Jonah and hurl him into the sea. Did you ever wonder that? Why did the sailors have to pick him and throw him into the sea? And it's evident that Jonah was not going to jump into the sea himself, right? Number one, I think that there was an understanding that only God has the power to give and take life away. Jonah and the sailors knew this, which by the way, this belief is very contrary to what the world teaches us today and the enemy says, right? You don't want to have that baby? Your body, your choice, your life, nobody will miss you. It's your life, your choice. Isn't that what the enemy says? Isn't that what the world says? I also think that the walking the plank in the middle of the storm was not an easy thing to do. That's what the story says, right? They're in the middle of a storm, and it required probably at least a few of the sailors to throw him overboard. But, you know, more than this. I think that the reason why the sailors threw Jonah overboard become clear to us when we read verse 14 and 15 again and discover in the sailors prayer and in the result of this prayer that this was indeed the Lord wanted them to do, to throw Jonah overboard. And I like better how the New Living Translation describes this. The NLT says, then the sailors cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death oh lord you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons then the sailors picked up jonah jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and listen and the storm stopped at once your church sometimes it is by our actions of faith that others will come to understand what God's will is for their lives. Did you know that? Sometimes it is by our actions that others will come to see and understand God's correction for a purpose of salvation in their lives. But it should always, it should always be through prayer that we should understand how God is wanting to bring people to him, not by our own desire but by his will. When the sailors prayed to the Lord, they acknowledged that the, that is what the Lord, the God wanted them to do. And their prayers were heard by the Lord when the storm immediately stopped right after they did what the Lord wanted them to do. Whatever the approach we take here, we can see that Jonah's apathy to others and to God's desires to save, uh, to save those that were not his people was a constant throughout this whole story. So it shouldn't surprise us that it took the sailor's action to move Jonah's in action into action. You know, church, passivity in God's people towards the lost and towards prayer is an evidence of a lack of understanding to what God truly values. And a lack of understanding of what God truly values comes as a result of not truly knowing God. Or even worse, as our friend Jonah did, a deliberate decision to disobey God's calling. It is only through prayer that we get to know God's desire and calling to our lives. And God will always do what he pleases and will use whatever it takes or whoever he needs to use if his people, us, ignore his call. God's calling to him, God's calling to us today is to pray to him, pray to him, to pray for others' salvation, and to pray for his will to be done, which is what it's pleasing to him in the midst of life circumstances. And when we do this, we will see the results right away, not only in our surroundings, just as the sailors did when, when the storm ceased, but also in our hearts. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It is when men, when women, when kids, when elderly, when foreigners, when everyone pray to the Lord and witness the power of God's transforming their environment and saving them, that they, and this is where worship comes into the picture. God is calling us to worship him. God is calling us to worship him. God does not have to prove anything to us, you know that? He doesn't have he doesn't have to prove anything to us. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can save whoever he wants to, however he wants to. But in his grace and his mercy to us, he shows us that he is almighty, all powerful, and more than able to save us, even if this means that he needs to Move the seas around us. When God shows his power in your life or in the ones around you, what is your response to him? How are you responding to his power in your life and in those around you? Is there exceeding fear and respect like the sailors had towards the Lord? Or is there an attitude of apathy like Jonah the prophet had? Because there's no real worship to God without sacrifice. Let me repeat that again. There's no real worship to God without sacrifice. And the sailors knew this. In the case of the sailors, sacrifice meant literally sacrificing a living animal. They took an animal Uh, as a sign of gratitude for saving their lives. It it involves spending the resources and and what they considered valuable for other means for the sake of worshiping God and gratitude. And they sacrifice an animal. Now in our lives, that we consider to have great value for something or someone that we consider that has even greater value. Some sacrifice food to look better or feel better. Some sacrifice time to give to others. Some sacrifice their own comfort for the sake of others being comfortable. But the Bible teaches us that we can also give ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord. Not only our resources, not only our time, not only our comfort, but all that we are, our entire life. And this is what true worship is all about giving our entire life as a sacrifice to God in order to please him. And this is worship. This is the sacrifice. So the question is, is there anything in your life that you're valuing so much that you're holding back to yourself and you're unwilling to sacrifice to the Lord as worship? When the sailors saw the Lord's salvation miracles in their lives, they all fear the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifices and they offered vows to the Lord. What has the Lord done in your life that should be moving you to worship him in this sacrificial way? I think that there's a lot to learn from the sailors' attitudes towards the Lord in this story. But what about our friend Jonah? Jonah. What happened to him? The story tells us that the sailors threw him overboard into the sea, into the raging sea. As many as you know, I want to share something a little bit about my life here. I, I was born and raised in a small town next to the Caribbean Sea. And I grew up in the, next to the beach, you know, going to the, going to the beach and, and going to the river quite often. And, and the way I learned how to swim was more or less like this. Someone, I was like in front of the, the water, and I remember someone going, <laughs> Hector, swim. That's one way to do it, right? I, I don't recommend that, but I remember that one day, me and my family, we went to this uh, family, we went to this vacation, and to, we, we went to the beach, and there was a river that was running right next to the beach, and to make the long story short, I remember that somehow I slipped, and I felt into the deepest part of the river. It was a raging river. It was like, it was like very fast current. Nobody saw me. Nobody noticed, and I was freaking out. And it was just just me just floating down the river and swimming very, like, in a non-stylish way, which is, I would say, like, I was basically drowning. And as I quickly went down the river, I remember holding on to whatever I could find on the sides, branches, rocks, anything. Nothing would stop me. Mud was everywhere, rocks. And I was very desperate to get out of the river. And I remember for a moment thinking, this is the end for me. But after a few tries of reaching out to whatever I could, I would finally was able to caught out, caught to something that was like a branch or something. I don't remember, but I was able to pull myself out of the river. And what a relief. What might have felt like an eternity for me in the water. It was maybe in reality. Two minutes. Now, my near to death experience surely seems like a joke when compared to what Jonah, the prophet went through. Verse 17 tells us about this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And the story begins with the word and. In other translation, it says now. If we read chapter one, we can see that the story of Jonah also starts with the word now. And it says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah And then in chapter 2 in the Hebrew Bible, it starts by saying, now the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And this now could be used as a grammatical connector or as indicative that something else was happening before we came to this point of the story, right? But doing a bit more of research, I found that one of the translations in Spanish captures the original Hebrew meaning in a very unique way by saying, mientras tanto. And, And this could be translating to English as... In the meantime, in the meantime, in the meantime, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In the meantime, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You know, church, as we go through the storms, as we go through God's correction, as we feel like we're drowning and it seems like there's no way out, in the meantime, God is at work. What the story of Jonah is teaching us here is that when we go through crises in life, God is at work to provide what we need. In the meantime, he's providing what we need. He will provide the circumstances in our lives that will provoke us to turn to him alone in times of affliction. He will provide the storms that will make us turn to him and say, where are you, God? I need you today. And many times... His wonderful power and provision might come in ways that we do not expect. Sometimes we expect God's provision to be manifested in our lives in certain ways, and we try to box him in, right? Saying, Lord, just give me X amount of money, and I'm sure that my situation will change. Or, Lord, what I really need right now is, a, is a, a wife. Or what I really need right now is a boyfriend. Or what I really need right now is a girlfriend. Or maybe you're saying, Lord, what I really need right now is for you to take this sickness away. Can't deal with it anymore. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, I'm so weak. These temptations are just too much for me. I can't do this any longer. Have you ever prayed like this before? Let me tell you then, as you pray, as you're hoping for a miracle in your life, as you go through the crisis, and as you go through the storms that rages, in the meantime, God will always provide. Chapter two, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. And now, you know, I find a lot of weight in this word then, because it seems to say that it took Jonah uh, for it to be in the most desperate place in his life to lift up a prayer to the Lord, his God. And there's a lesson that we can learn from this, you know, don't wait until everything is going downhill in your life to come to the Lord in prayer. How many times do we see ourselves struggling with spiritual or physical circumstances and we choose to keep it to ourselves? Have you done that before? And unfortunately, it is not until we realize that we're hitting rock bottom that we cry out for help. Don't wait until everything is going downhill in your life to come to the Lord in prayer, to come to others around you, Remember, dear church, in the midst of your distress, when there's nowhere else to go, you can run to God and he will listen. But you got to pray. You got to pray. God's calling us to pray. That is God's calling for us to pray. And this is what Jonah's prayer sounded like. This is what he said. This is how he prayed. Verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of the Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, Jonah was not having a stroll in the park as he was sinking into the raging sea and into the belly of the fish. He literally described his situation as the belly of the Sheol. And let me tell you what the Sheol was for the Hebrews. It was literally death, a place of no hope. And we could easily say today that Jonah was saying something like, out of hell itself, I cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard my voice. Jonah, the prophet of God, the one who attempted to run away from God's presence, says that as he was going through hell itself, he cried to God, and God heard him. Many of you know that I come from a Christian home. My parents are pastors of a church in Colombia. I grew up in a Christian environment, but that doesn't mean that I was always a Christian. Being a pastor's kids doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Did you know that? Just like having Christian parents and coming to church every Sunday and every Wednesday does not make you one either. But during the whole time of being with my parents, listening Uh, every day what they had to say, uh, the gospel, and what my parents were teaching me about God through his word, I never had the chance to be in the belly of the fish, figuratively speaking. Everything had always been provided. We never lacked anything. Church was the thing that we did every weekend, and this was okay with me. And to be honest with you, Jesus was not very important in my life. Not very relevant. But one day when I left home, and went to college, I found myself in the belly of the fish. Depression, addiction to alcohol, inappropriate sexual behaviors, this was all part of the many things that I turned to to fill the void that I had in my life. And in my attempt to run away from the presence of the Lord and his calling, I found myself in a life that looked very much like hell to me. But little did I know that this was God's grace and mercy that was taking me to the belly of the fish as that provision for my salvation. And in my desperation, I cried to the Lord for help and he saved me. And the words of the psalmist became very real to me when he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. My dear friend, no matter how far away you run from the Lord, no matter what type of hell you think that you're going through or you feel like you're going through, if you cry to the Lord for help, he will hear your voice and he will answer you. Because as long as you're still alive, There is no hell that can hold your prayer back when you cry out to the Lord for help. But you have to pray to him. You got to pray. God's calling for us is to pray. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with heart. And it also says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. the time of need. So the invitation is to seek the Lord in prayer when you're going through the storms that he allows you to go in life. But also to not wait for the storm to hit and to not wait only until you find yourself in the belly of hell to put your prayer as a priority in your life. As I said a few weeks ago, God will do whatever it takes. And I say today, he will take you wherever you need to be so that you will hear his voice and cry out to him in prayer. Dear church, it is important for us to remember that in the storm and in the fish, God still listens and God still saves now, this is applicable to you who might consider this whole Christian ordeal to be something way too familiar. Maybe you've heard this before. Or maybe you're here and you're not familiar with this at all. You have no clue what I'm talking about. But this is also applicable for anyone that has found themselves being at a place where there seems to be no answer. And the miracle of God is all that you need right now. Maybe God's miracles have been present in your life in the past. And it is time for you to respond to God and to acknowledge his providence for you. Just like our friend Jonah did once he was in the belly of the fish. It says, verse 3, chapter 2. For you cast me into the, be- into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounding me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters close in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head. For Jonah, the deep and the heart of the seas, the flood and the waves and the billows, this was the work of the Lord over his life. He said, you casted me into the deep. Your waves, Lord, and your billows passed over me. And this should teach us that the crisis that Jonah was going through was nothing less than the hand of God, of God himself, over his life. Let me ask you then something. Would it be possible that the crisis that you're going through, the crisis that you have experienced in the past, and the future crisis that you will experience it in life, are the means and the divine providence of God leading you to lift up your voice to the only God that can save you and help you? Too often we think of life crisis as the result of external agents in our lives. And we like to reason with the things that happens to us around us. It's because that's what we do, right? So we're in a car accident and, and we're like, That'll teach me not to speed on the highway. Someone gets sick and and, and you'll be like, you got to take your vitamins. You lose your job and and you'll be like, I'm too old for this. I, I, I can't get a new job. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend breaks up with you and you think I won't be able to recover emotionally from this. And I'm not saying with this that there's no consequences for our decisions in life. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say here is in spite of our actions even when we go through unwanted or unforeseen situations in our lives, or even as we make decisions that bring consequences to our lives and to those around us, God is at work and his purposes will always be fulfilled. Let me ask you, as God's provision and salvation comes to you, as stormy and providential miracles, What is your response to him? What is your response to God? Because God is calling us to pray to him, but God is also calling us to worship him. And in his calling, we can find his purpose for when we go through the storms in life. Jonah in the belly of the fish finally recognized that it was God himself who had allowed him to go through the storm, And he did not only pray to God, he did not only acknowledge God in worship, but he also remembered that salvation only comes from the Lord. Not from vain idols, he says, not from someone or something else. His salvation only comes from the Lord who saves. And this is what he said in verse 6. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pray regard the vain idols forsake those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Dear church, only the Lord has the power to save you and transform the circumstances you're going through for the better. And his provision may not look as what you're expecting. It may be the belly of a fish type of situation where it seems like you're still in the dark and a whole bunch of things are happening around you. But what you need to remember is that there is hope in those who wait and seek the Lord. Putting your hope in money won't bring you salvation. Putting your hope in someone's love or attention won't bring a solution to your need. Putting your hope in something or someone else that's not the Lord will only bring more pain and more suffering to your life. But putting your hope in the Lord and the God who saves and has the power to save will allow you to experience not only his salvation, but also his steadfast love. I want you to take a moment and think of at least one miracle that the Lord has done in your life in the past. Can you do that for a moment? Think of one miracle. And the reason I want you to do this is because we can acknowledge how many times in our lives when we have been in situations where the belly of the fish seemed to be our end, but God delivered. Can you acknowledge that God has delivered you before? God saved God listened and responded. God saved us when there was no hope. And if you're here today and you find yourself maybe in a situation like in the belly of the fish, I believe everyone, whether you're able to easily recognize it or not, have at a certain point of life, experience God's provision, God's grace, and God's miracles. And here's the thing. Our attitude could be just like Jonah's, you know? We could quickly lift up our voice and promise a whole bunch of things to the Lord as he responds to our lives with salvation and miracles. Uh, This is what he said, as a matter of fact, in verse 9. He said, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And here's what's interesting about this story as we come to an end today. So far, we have learned that the sailors prayed to the Lord for their salvation, That's what we read in chapter one a couple weeks ago. This is what Jonah also did inside of the fish. The sailors acknowledged the power of God to save them. And so did Jonah. The sailors offered sacrifices and vows to the Lord in gratitude. Same thing that Jonah promised to the Lord from inside of the fish. And then after experiencing God's salvation and miracles, they did what pleased the Lord. Just as Jonah said to the Lord that he would. My point here is the following, church. Prayer, gratitude, and promises to the Lord and sacrifices are worthless if it doesn't translate into obedience to do what the Lord has called you to do. Prayer, worship is worthless if we don't obey the Lord. For the sailors, it meant a lot. I'm sure throwing Jonah overboard was not something easy for them to do. For Jonah, and meant to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites what he was supposed to preach. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But for us, Hope Chapel, for you, my friend, again, the question is, what is the Lord calling you to do? The appropriate response to God's miracles in our lives is obedience to his word. That is the appropriate response because God is calling us to obedience. God is calling us to obedience. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Hope Chapel, it is important for us to know that God will not only provide the storm to provoke us to come back to him and call our attention he will not only provide the belly of the fish to move us to prayer and worship, but he will also provide for us the firm land for us to walk on and to do what he has called us to do, to obey the calling that he has for each one of us and for all of us as a church. So are you still navigating the storms and feel like you're sinking deeper into the waters and there's no foundation in your life, then let me tell you, God has the power to speak to the storms and bring calm into your heart. Are you in a desperate place, as if you were in the belly of the fish, and your life seems to be fading? It's just like let me tell you today, the same God that has the power to deal with your problems and continue to work miracles in your lives. So as we close today let me leave you with the following. In the storms, in the fish, or in dry land, let our prayer, our worship, and our obedience be the appropriate response to God's calling in our lives. Prayer, worship, obedience. Prayer, worship, obedience. To what? To what the Lord is telling you. The Lord is calling you to do. What is the Lord calling you to do? To pray, to worship him, and to obey him. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to understand all of this because of the storms that are around us. It's easy to listen, but to put into practice sometimes is harder. And sometimes from inside of the belly of the fish, we seem to lose hope. But today your word has reminded us that we can look to you and find our hope and salvation in you. You are the giver of life, and only in you we can hope. So, Lord, will you please help us as we try to understand your purposes for our lives and for the circumstances that we're going through. Help us not to drown and die in the storm, Lord. Only you can save. Only you, Lord, can truly help us. And as we leave this place, help us to put into practice what we have learned today. Help us to remember you, Lord. Help us to pray to you, even if we feel like we don't want to pray, Lord. Help us to recognize your provision, your providence, and your power in our lives in a sacrificial life that honors you. This is worship you, Lord. Help us to worship you as you want us to worship you, Lord. And help us to listen to your voice through the storm so we can follow and obey you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. We pray, Lord. And we say, amen.